From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, February 19th. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, I'm joined by Impact Alpha's Amy Cortese to talk about how corporations are paying farmers to capture carbon in their soil. Hi, Amy, and welcome back to the show. Hi, Brian. Good to be back. Good to have you here. And later, we'll hear from this week's Agent of Impact, Charles D. King, the founder and CEO of the global media brand Macro. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. In Texas and other states, millions are without power, heat, and even water. That has put the state of the nation's electricity grids at the top of the infrastructure agenda. As electricity growth triples in the next 20 years, the grid is going to have to be modernized. Think decentralized, digitized, and decarbonized. Investors are eyeing solutions such as microgrids, battery software, smart software, and yes, lots of cheap solar and wind power, which actually held up relatively well in the Texas outages. Adjuvant Capital raised $300 million to commercialize late-stage medical solutions for often neglected diseases like malaria, HIV, and tuberculosis. It's a sign of how the pandemic has raised investor awareness about these infectious diseases. Adjuvant is financing the development of drugs, vaccines, and tests. The fund is anchored by the Gates Foundation and will enforce the foundation's global access agreements to make sure the medical advances are affordable and accessible in low-income countries. Mark Carney and Jeffrey Ubbin are raising multi-billion dollar funds to target net zero opportunities. Carney, the former chief of the Bank of England and now a special climate envoy to the UN, is vice chair of Brookfield Asset Management. He has called the transition to a net zero economy the, quote, greatest commercial opportunity of our age. Brookfield is looking to raise a $7.5 billion global transition fund to build out renewable energy projects and help companies transition operations to net zero greenhouse gas emissions. Ubin, the activist investor turned sustainability advocate, is aiming for $8 billion for Inclusive Capital's Spring Fund 2. Ubin also is angling for a seat on ExxonMobil's board of directors. Aerial Investments, Project Black, secured $200 million from J.P. Morgan so they can acquire minority-led small businesses and build a base of diverse suppliers for Fortune 500 companies. And finally, now we know why the old lady swallowed a fly. Protex is the operator of the world's largest insect factory. That's largest intentional insect factory. The Dutch company raised 15.5 million euros to grow black soldier flies as a sustainable source of protein for animal feed. Aquaculture investor Aquaspark led the round. I'm joined once again by Amy Cortese for our featured conversation. Amy, you wrote this week about farming carbon. Now, soil carbon and farming carbon are new terms for me. Can you break it down for me? Sure, Brian. Yeah, think back to high school biology and the carbon cycle. Plants draw carbon out of the air and they pull it into the soil. So farmers are now being paid to capture carbon in the soil through sustainable farming practices. So we've been tracking a promising trend. Farmers sequestering carbon in soil through simple techniques like cover crops and no-till agriculture. So as you said, there's been growing activity in this marketplace. Why are we seeing so much action now? It's a good example of what happens when there's a price on carbon. So soil carbon was kind of theoretical when carbon markets were pricing a ton at 6 to $7, but it's a real business at $20 a ton. 
which is where the voluntary carbon markets are now. So why are these voluntary carbon markets going up? Why, why the price increase? Supply and demand, Brian, more than 1,500 corporations have made net zero pledges to phase out their greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 or sooner. Now they have to scramble to meet those pledges and they're buying credits or offsets. So while companies seek to cut their own carbon emissions, they need to make up the difference by purchasing these offsets. Exactly. And one of the ways to supply those credits is through these agricultural approaches. We spoke with Gregory Landaway of the Regen Network, which sold the first credits on its blockchain-based carbon exchange. The credits were generated by Australian ranchers and sold to Microsoft, which wants to offset all the carbon it has ever produced going back to its founding in 1975. That's why we're so focused on agriculture because a transformation of agriculture can turn agriculture from a net emitter that's you know, roughly 25% of global emissions to a massive carbon sink. Many scientists believe that agriculture and land use could, especially if you combine it with blue carbon, with like uh, marine estuaries, uh, mangroves, etc. If you sort of think about the earth, the earth has the carbon sequestration potential to draw back down all of the one gigatons that we need to, to get back to 350 parts per million. Gregory says the market has really taken off in just the last few months. I think another important piece of this story is, you know, Bank of England, Swiss Re, Shell Oil, everybody has put a cost on the risk and liability of carbon emissions now. So it is now on corporate balance sheets. This isn't just like greenwashing anymore. They're considering it part of their fiduciary responsibility. Right. Without regulation, that's on the voluntary side purely, and that's happened. So there, it's it, it's institutionalized now in a lot of companies. It isn't just to look good; they are assessing this as an existential risk to their businesses, and therefore putting it as a liability on their balance sheets, and therefore going out to buy these carbon credits. I mean, that's the real sea change that's happened in the last like eighteen months or so. So that's creating new revenue streams for farmers and ranchers. Exactly. That's the key. They can grow carbon in the same way they can grow soybeans or corn and sell carbon just like any other commodity. And suddenly there's a lot of activity around building these carbon markets. In fact, my colleague David Banks spoke to Mark Lambert of ReHarvest, which is paying farmers in Iowa to implement practices that sequester carbon in the soil and also reduce water pollution from agricultural runoff. Here's part of their conversation. You're paying for actual tons of carbon stored in soil on Iowa farms. That's correct. Yep, we, we quantify the, the tons of carbon sequestered by a particular set of practices, and we pay the farmer uh, for those tons that they're putting into the soil. So a company like Cargill makes the, the kind of net zero pledge that many companies are making now, and then they kind of have to back it up, so they buy they buy credits. They presumably have measured their own outputs and what understand what net zero means for them. But then they've got to buy some credits and they buy them from you. And what do, what do they pay for that? Well, let's say we're trying to produce carbon in a range of, let's say, $10 to $20 per ton. And, and well, I should say sell that carbon for a $10 to $20 per ton price point. 
Uh, and that's pretty competitive, we think, with other programs that are producing, uh, you know, carbon outcomes, uh, tons of carbon sequestered in agricultural soils. We are seeing a fair bit of demand from corporate partners at that price. In Iowa, we were able to provide payments of between $30 and $50 per acre to the farmers participating in our program. I think our average payment was about $37 per acre. I think we would, as the demand and the pricing dynamics for carbon uh, particularly in this administration with the USDA really very much focused on agricultural carbon as we start to get hopefully more upward pressure on carbon prices. What we want to do is drive all that value back to the farmer. Uh, they're the folks creating that commodity and that benefit in the first place. So Amy, carbon reductions, healthy soil, higher incomes for farmers. What could be bad about all of this? Well, for one thing, those credits effectively let companies continue to pollute. So we have to make sure that they're actually bringing down their own emissions as well. Also, there's been some scientific debate over how real the carbon savings are. For example, when farmers do eventually till their soil in five or 10 years, maybe, they could release that carbon back into the atmosphere. So there's a lot of monitoring and accountability and verification that, that still needs to be worked out. Okay, so we at Impact Alpha will be continuing to watch this space for more. Thank you so much, Amy. Thanks, Brian. Now it's time for this week's Agent of Impact, Charles D. King. King is the producer of the new film, Judas and the Black Messiah, about the betrayal of Fred Hampton, the Chicago leader of the Black Panther Party in the late 1960s. King was a Hollywood super agent before founding the production company Macro. He spotted the disconnect between the people who were greenlighting projects in Hollywood and the audiences they were trying to reach. He started making movies with diverse voices and characters. Here's how King described it on Variety's Strictly Business podcast. Even though I loved being an agent and an, an artist advocate, the, the business opportunity and the opportunity for our community was was just too too great and vast. And I was doing a disservice to the community by not actually taking the lead and making the jump to launch the company. You might know macro films like Fences, Just Mercy, and Mudbound. Many have been both critical and financial successes. But we've definitely had above average returns on a large number of the movies. We clearly have had critical acclaim and been able to build a brand and a voice and a relationship with content creators and artists and, uh, mm -hmm. and, our, and our relationship and respect that I think that to be able to do that in this environment in six years to become a go-to company for this space authentically, it, you couldn't put money on that. I mean, there's just so much tremendous value. King has attracted a macro impact investors looking to nurture diverse voices and broaden the cultural narrative. Investors like Emerson Collective and the Ford, Kellogg, and Libra Foundations. When I got in front of the right people, including these amazing investors I have, there wasn't even a question. I mean, they were beyond supportive and saw the impact side, but most importantly, they saw the business opportunity. That's going to do it for your Impact Briefing this week. You can read all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Impact Alpha's podcasts are available wherever you listen. They're made possible by Impact Alpha subscribers. Join them and receive the daily brief and full access to impactalpha.com and much more. Podcast listeners get $100 off their annual subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100 for $100 off. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to Amy Cortese and our producer, Isaac Silk. 
I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company Liquinet. Until next time, take good care.